Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. It is a new month. It's October 1st, 2022, and uh, I'm Dr. Lee Warren. If you're new around here, I'm a neurosurgeon. I do brain and spine surgery here in Nebraska, and I'm also a writer. I write some books, and I have a podcast that you're listening to right now, wherever you are. Uh, we're with you, and the reason we do this podcast every day, almost every day, is because we're trying to help other people Understand that life is hard. Jesus made us a promise in John sixteen thirty three. It says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And he made us another promise, though. At the same time, John ten ten, he said, I came here that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I'm here to tell you that you can have hard things happen in your life. And you can have an abundant, joyful, happy life also. You don't have to have but. You can have and. And so this whole thing is about how to get our brains squared away with the reality of those two truths, how those two things can be true at the same time, and how to hold on to faith and find hope, because hopelessness is the deadliest disease that's known to man. I deal with brain cancer and spinal cord injuries and all kinds of hard things in my practice. And I'm telling you, after all these years of studying hard things and going through a bunch of them myself, hopelessness is the worst thing there is. And so this little podcast, I'm sitting in front of this microphone at 4 o'clock in the morning, is aimed specifically at helping you Learn how to become healthier, feel better, and be happier by finding the way to hold on to hope and flex those muscles to move towards hope and faith no matter what you're facing, to be able to have the and and not just the but of hard things. That's the, that's the whole point of this whole deal. And today is Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. So on, on Saturdays, we specifically talk about some of the neuroscience and some of the, the ways that we can change our minds about things. And we do Mind Change Mondays, too. We talk about these things. But today, I want to teach you a self-brain surgery technique that I think will help you look at either successful times or difficult times in your life in kind of a new way. We're going to put some scripture on it, too. I always try to put some some of the faith and neuroscience up together. When they smash together, that's when things really work well in my life. You don't have to just have science. You don't have to just have faith. You can have both. And I'm here to tell you, they work together. They don't work against each other, despite what you may have heard. So we're going to do a little self-brain surgery today with a new operation I'm going to teach you called the, the thought autopsy. We've talked about the bad thought biopsy a lot. Today we're going to talk about the thought autopsy and how that can help you radically understand your thinking in times of triumph and in times of failure, in times of joy, in times of sorrow. The thought autopsy is a key to understanding past successes and failures so that you can harness that knowledge for future success. And Lisa is going to tell us how to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it.
All right. So I'm up here at four something in the morning drinking coffee and thinking about you. Now, why am I doing that? Well, I'm thinking about you because well, I got a new book coming out next year and it's called Hope is the First Dose. And it's all about how we can understand how to find hope and joy and peace in spite of the inevitable hard things that are coming in our life. And I tell a story in that book, that in a chapter that I called Thoughts Become Things. And Thoughts Become Things is something that I first saw on a t-shirt. I can't find, there's, there, if you go to the internet and try to find it, there's a million companies that sell t-shirts that say Thoughts Become Things. It's been in books, it's been all over the place. I'm not sure where it first came from. But I know I first saw it on a T-shirt that some guy had on, and it said "Thoughts Become Things," and that was there's no other context for it besides that. And I started thinking about that, and I realized, holy cow, that's exactly right. The things you think about become things in your real life. You turn them into real things. They, they turn into how we interact with other people. The thoughts that we think turn into how we treat our kids and our wives and our husbands and our employers and our employees. The thoughts that we think about turn into how we react to feelings, and they, they turn into how we how resilient we are or not. They turn into the, whether or not we choose to cover our brains up with alcohol so we can fall asleep and stop thinking about that thing that hurt us today. The thoughts become things. They, they turn into real-life things. So the thoughts that we think then are super important in ultimately determining how our lives play out. You don't just get to think terrible thoughts all day and still have a happy outcome most of the time. Why? Because thoughts become things. And so I've taught you before this idea that I have called the bad thought biopsy, and that's not really original to me that the phrase is, but but all throughout the Bible, all throughout the great philosophers of history, and even in modern times and, and great um, self-help books and, and, and people who teach positive thinking and my friend Daniel Amen and, and psychologists like Carolyn Leaf, everybody talks about how important it is not to believe everything that pops into your head, but to look at critically and think about the type of things that you're thinking about and try to get that under control before you react to it. So responding to our thought processes in a healthier way is is important. So I'm not taking credit for the original idea, but as a brain surgeon, of course, I think about it in terms of how can we do self-brain surgery to get this back under control? I've told you before, that's not just a, a cute little phrase, but the reality is if you can put somebody in a functional imaging environment, like a functional MRI or a spec scan, and you can actually see that, that the brain responds electrically and chemically, and real changes happen inside your neurons, and new synapses are formed based on different types of thoughts that you think. So it really is true that you can change the, the structure of your brain and the output of hormones that change how your organs work and change how your heart rate and blood pressure and, and all of those things, all the physiological things that are real in your body can be manipulated and controlled by things that you think about. So it's really true that you can perform brain surgery on yourself by changing how you think. And so that's a critical understanding. Once you know that, then you don't have to be a victim anymore. As I told you, one of the things I talk about in my new book is that one of our core values as self-brain surgeons is that we will relentlessly refuse to participate in our own demise. If somebody says, I'm so tired of being anxious all the time, so tired of being scared all the time, so tired of being tired all the time. Well, once you are able to, to put words to what it is that you're feeling, then you have a choice to make. You can either continue to feel all those things all the time, or you can say, I'm not going to feel those things all the time. If I'm tired of being anxious, I'm going to dedicate my brain and my heart and whatever steps I need to take to get that under control. 
if it's medication, if it's therapy, if it's something spiritual or faith or reading or changing the things that we're thinking about or getting a relationship squared away or broken or out that's causing that anxiety, whatever it is, if it's chronic anxiety around money, I'm going to dedicate myself to getting that squared away so I don't have to be anxious anymore. We, we don't have to be victims of the things that we think about. We can, we can choose to pursue aggressively a solution to fixing the things that are causing us those feelings that are causing the thoughts that are causing the trouble and turning into things in our lives, right? So that's the whole gist of this brain surgery thing. So today I want to talk about autopsies. It's kind of a creepy sounding thing because in in real medicine we use autopsies, which is where we take a, a dead person and we go inside them to figure out what caused them to die, right? So if you have somebody who dies under suspicious circumstances or who dies when the cause of death is unclear, dies unexpectedly in the hospital, for example, or at home, then sometimes we have to do an autopsy. We have to have the coroner take that person and cut into their body and test them and and find out why that person passed away, right? That's an autopsy. You're going back at something that's already happened and try to get to the core understanding of why that thing happened in the way that it did. Okay, well, if you think about thoughts, what I want you to do today, my friend, is to go back and think about something in the past week. Is there a particular moment, a day or an encounter with somebody else or uh, an event that happened where you had a really successful engagement or you woke up on Thursday morning, for example, and said, man, yesterday was a great day or that deal went so well that 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 game came out exactly like I wanted it to find something in the past week that went particularly well and ask yourself, why did that go so well? Why did that happen so well? What was it about that encounter that, that made it play out so well? And start thinking about what you were thinking about when that was happening. What was your performance all about? What was your behavior all about? What were you thinking about that turned into the things that you did or said or didn't do that led that encounter to be more successful or happy or better than it typically has been. Autopsy the things that you were thinking about. Now, notice that this is different than the thought biopsy process. Thought biopsy is real time, okay? It's when something pops into your head, she thinks I'm a loser or nobody likes me or I'm always failing or whatever. The thought pops into your head and you start to react to it because of synapses that have been programmed over the course of your life to respond to the particular thought that happens. And the biopsy process is to just try to learn how to put a little gap in there where you can say, wait, I'm thinking this, or I'm feeling this, and I don't necessarily have to react to it. I can change that. I can control my next move. I can tr- control what comes out of my mouth. I can control whether I hit that person or not. I can control whether I let that feeling make me open another bottle or take another pill or go onto a certain website or whatever. Right, The biopsy is real-time going forward. So this autopsy idea is just slightly different. It's to say, this thing happened a few days ago, and it went better than it usually does. So why? I want to dig into that and think through it critically and understand it. I want to, I want to know why that particular thing was better than it normally is. If I have a surgery that just is it comes off and it's so easy and everything went great. Then Damon and I and the team and Kristen and Al and everybody that's on our team in the hospital will say, Hey, this particular case, 
it just was so much faster and so much easier than it normally is. And what all led into that anesthesia? Did y'all do anything different? And or you know X, Y, and Z. What what happened so we can reproduce that and make all of them go a little bit faster and easier? Or if a particular case is hard for some reason, if we say, well, maybe the positioning was wasn't quite perfect, or maybe this or that happened. Or you know, we we go into it and we and we think through what makes a particular day in the operating room just really cook smoothly or have struggles and then we try to smooth out the bumps and make processes better and make everything work better so that every day in every case is more efficient right that's that's how good surgical teams work that's how good football teams work they they watch film and they go back my friend al is a master it's fun to watch a game with him because he's he sees things as a coach that i never can see and he'll say okay this this play happened in that way because this guy was two steps over to the right when he should have been over here before the ball was snapped and and this offensive coordinator didn't see this thing that always happens when they run that particular play and didn't pick up this guy that was going to blitz over here and he can see all that and then he can take that knowledge and insight and go teach his kids his players a different way to think about the next game that they have to play and how they can be thinking differently about their setup and and all of that, and that'll produce over time better outcomes, right? So the thought autopsy is not real-time. It's, it's past time. It's retrospectively looking at what you were thinking about when something went really well, okay? And I would just acknowledge that we have a tendency to take credit for things when they go really well, Right? That went well because I did this or that. That that happened because I performed really well. That 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 play pulled off because I ran a little faster. I did more reps in the gym or that whatever. We tend to, to pat ourselves on the back. And I made a joke in the OR a couple of days ago that this really difficult little move that I had to make during a procedure. We were trying to get a ruptured disc out of this person. The nerve was really badly pinched, and it was hard. It was really hard. And so... We were working hard, and I was, and I was, the nerve was kind of scarred and stuck from previous surgery, and I, and I had to make this sort of delicate move, and and boom, the disc popped out, and everything went great. And I said, "Somebody give me a sterile hand so I can pat myself on the back for that." And I was just joking, but but that's what we tend to do when we have a, a a victory, something good happens. We tend to pat ourselves on the back about it, right? Well, think also. Let's, let's apply. Hold that thought for a minute, and let's go and let's think about something that happened this week or this month or this year that was bad, that was hard, a situation that didn't go like you wanted it to go, a, a, a day that didn't play out, a conversation, a relationship, something broke up, something happened that, that you didn't like. And think about what could have led that particular thing to not having gone the way you wanted it to go. What was it? So think through the thoughts that you were thinking. Go back to when I had this fight with my spouse and he got mad and left, or she threw something at me, or, or whatever. These words got said that led us to sleep in, in different rooms that night, or finally was the camp straw that broke the camel's back, and this marriage is over. Think through not just what they did, not just what they said, not just what their behavior was. Think through and be honest with yourself. What were you thinking about in the moments before that event, in the, in the months before, in the years before? What were your thoughts about, your private thoughts? Because here's the, here's the problem with our thoughts. Nobody knows what they are. It's true. You can tell your wife or your husband, your friend, your cha- your chaplain, your employer, you can tell them what you feel. But the truth is there's lots of thoughts and feelings that you never share with anybody else. And nobody really knows you except the Lord and you. 
should insert a dramatic pause here and let you think about that. Nobody really knows you but you and the Lord. Think about that for a second. So, so the truth is nobody knows your thoughts, but the problem is we don't really think about our thoughts either. We usually don't. We don't think about our thinking, and that's a huge problem. So when something goes hard, I'm sorry I got some congestion in my head because our, our friend Jerry Deaver cut the sedan grass field next door, and it's the first year any of us have been exposed to that particular allergen, and they cut the hay field on the same day. And Lisa and Tata and I, every year when they harvest, every time they harvest the alfalfa, we all have a bunch of allergies for a few days, and now we have a whole you know, 200-acre field of a new allergen that we're reacting to. So Jerry, thanks a lot for all the congestion. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, it's amazing to watch these farmers work. They're amazing. But so... What I'm getting at is this. Nobody really knows your thoughts but you. So you have a responsibility then to think critically about them and see what impact they're having on the quality of your life and your behavior and your interaction and your relationships and your successes and your failures. You have a responsibility. It's important for the coroner to do that important work and do the autopsy to find the cause of death so that we can then go back and understand if there was a problem or there was something that could have been prevented or avoided or if there was a substance that shouldn't have been there or there was a, a, a medical you know, device that failed or something happened. We got to understand so other people can benefit from the work that's done by the coroner in the autopsy process. And you, my friend, can benefit greatly if you'll go back and look at these times of failure and times of success and times of stress and times of uh, relative peace in your life. And autopsy, what were you thinking about? What was going on in between your ears during times when things were hard? I told you a minute ago, that we tend to pat ourselves on the back when things go well. But I would counter also to say that we tend to forget our own culpability in times when things are hard. We tend to easily blame other people for our problems. I had a professor one time that used to say, hey, whenever there's a problem, the most important thing to do is establish blame and distance yourself from it. It was, it was a joke, but he was basically saying, find somebody to blame on any of your problems and then just don't take responsibility. Well, that's obviously silly, but we do it, don't we? We do. We, we look at a relationship and we say, man, that happened because she was lazy or he was overbearing or he was mean or he was abusive or she was this or they were that. Or this business failed because my partner didn't do his work. We never tend to come around and put the true blame on ourselves or, or, or and I don't mean to blame you. I'm, I'm not saying blame yourself for everything, but I'm saying be honest with yourself about your role in whatever situation was going on when something felt hard. Be honest with yourself. And there's another way to blame, which is to blame yourself for everything and to take way too much credit for things that you really aren't responsible for and can't and shouldn't take control or shouldn't take ownership of. So some people play this shame and blame game and they just dump all over themselves and that's not right either. So if you get on, if you get really proficient at this autopsy process, I mean the coroner, if they're a good coroner, they don't go into the autopsy saying, man, I'm going to blame this on that nurse. I'm going to find a way to stick this on a nurse or stick this on the the, over the spouse of this person. And I'm going to say they poisoned their husband. You know, a coroner wouldn't go into an autopsy thinking they already knew who they were going to blame for the death or that there was somebody to blame for the death. The coroner would go into it just saying, I need to find out what happened here. Right? So in other words, when you go back and look at a hard day, a hard event, a hard moment, a hard life, go back and say, I'm not sure what happened here, but I need to be honest with myself about what I was thinking 
and what part of it I played, what part in it I played. I need to be honest with myself and dig through that. There's a bunch of scripture around this. There's a, I've been reading in Isaiah the last few days, and in Isaiah 44, there's this whole passage to the 40s in Isaiah where God's basically talking to people about idol worship and how frustrated he is that they keep over and over and over turning to false gods in their lives. And he tells this amazing story in Isaiah 44, starting in 15. He talks about this guy, 14, verse 14, talks about this guy who plants a cedar tree, and then the rain nourishes it, and it becomes fuel. And he takes part of it and warms himself, kindles a fire, and bakes bread with it. He makes a god out of it and worships it and makes it an idol and falls down before it. So half of it he burns in the fire, and half he eats meat over it, roasts it, and is satisfied. And he warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it and, and prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. And he goes on to say that person is deluded. He doesn't have the insight to say, I just made this God up out of my hands, out of this piece of wood that I cut down that I grew. And basically the point of it is he, he's saying that we, we take things like a tree that we plant. We didn't make the seed. We didn't make the soil with all the nutrients in it. We plant it and we water it, but we didn't make the water and we didn't create the weather that, that happened in just the right way that the tree was able to grow we didn't create the biology of that tree that allowed it to grow and flourish. And we didn't create the, the metal from the earth that we turned into a saw or an axe to cut the thing down. We, did, we didn't make all that stuff, all that success that we, or all that, those gifts that we were able to use of biology and weather and climate and, and metallurgy and all that stuff. We didn't make that stuff. God did. But yet when the tree grows and we cut it down, we burn it into fire, we didn't make the fire. Right? We didn't create the, the process of chemistry that allows fire to happen. And we warm ourselves and pat ourselves on the back, and then we carve this idol out of the wood, and we say, what a great job we did. Right? And it's ludicrous, God says. It's, it's ridiculous that we're able to do that, and we don't have the insight to see it. So what he's saying is, like, I want to use my friend Jerry, the farmer, as an example again. Jerry's a faithful man. Jerry, I know you're listening, so I'm giving you some props here. But what if Jerry or other farmers... What if they worked hard and grew this hay and cut it down and put it into these beautiful bales? I'd love to see these green bales of freshly cut alfalfa sitting out there. And then what if he go home, puts his feet up and says to Laura, his wife, his lovely wife, and says, you know, man, I'm a great farmer. Look at all that grass I grew and look at all these bales I made. And I'm going to feed all these cattle all winter all over Nebraska with the work of my hands. Look how what a great job I did. Man, I'm solid. I'm a good farmer. I'm the best of my breed. I'm, I'm, I'm really something. What if he did that? What if he, what if he made a little miniature hay bale and put it up on his, on his mantle and prayed to that bale and said, man, you are the greatest hay field of all time. And, and you're just so responsible for all my success. And hay has been the thing that's put food on my table, put, you know, put money in the bank for me. And, and it's so great. And I'm so powerful. And I've just done such a great job as a farmer. And, and hay is amazing and awesome. And what if he forgot that he didn't make that field? He didn't create that dirt. What if he forgot about the fact that those micronutrients were in the soil and that the water that comes to the pivot comes from the well underground that he didn't put there? What if you forgot? Wouldn't that be silly? Now, Jerry would never do that. But, but I'm just saying how silly it is and how offensive it must be to God when we do that. Because here's what we do, okay? 
I'm a, let's say I was an athlete. I'm not really a great athlete, but let's say I was. And I go to the gym and I work hard and I get in really good shape and I, and I get drafted and make it to the NFL and I win the MVP and I score the game winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. And what if I then go and put my feet up and say, man, I'm so awesome. Look how, look how strong I am. I'm so much faster than everybody else and my muscles are so much bigger than everybody else's and, and I'm so much craftier on the field. Nobody can tackle me and I'm, you know, I'm just great. And he puts a little, I put a little football up on the mantle and I just kind of worship myself and how great I am at, at making that game so successful, right? And I don't stop to think, man, I've got, I got lungs that extract oxygen at just a little higher percentage than an average person that allows me to run a little bit faster. I've got muscles that have a higher percentage of fast twitch fibers that allow them to contract a little bit stronger. And I've got bone density that's a little bit harder. And I've got longer femurs than an average person of my size. And, and, and all of that stuff, the physiology that I can't control and I'm not responsible for having – and all I did was take that and use it in the gym. And by the way, I didn't, I didn't invent exercise physiology and I didn't learn all the science that went into my trainers and coaches being able to teach me how to do those things. And I didn't also come up with the, the other offensive linemen and tight ends and everybody that blocked for me. And I, and I just kind of forget that, yeah, I was able to run that play, but I had 12, you know, 10 other people on my team that were creating that opportunity. And I had an offensive coordinator and a coach that were calling plays that I didn't design that allowed me to succeed in that environment. Right. So <clears throat> people can go down this rabbit hole of patting themselves on the back for success and forget that all of those things were given to them by things that they couldn't control or other people that they didn't necessarily deserve. And so you see what I'm saying? So Isaiah, God goes and says, hey, you maniacs, I gave you the ground and the wood and the seed and the weather and the water and the metal and everything that you needed to, to build that fire from the tree that you chopped down and cook the meat that I gave you the, the, from the cow that I created so you could warm yourself and fill your belly and then you could pat yourself on the back for how wonderful you are. Right? But if you did an autopsy, if you, you actually went back and did a thought autopsy on that, you would say, wait a second. Yeah, I did a good job. I did my job properly. But God gave me the gift of all these things that allowed me to have that food and that shelter and that warmth and that meal or that success on the football field or that success as a hay farmer or that success in the operating room. That that happened because I was thinking the right thoughts about how I could play in that environment, right? So if you go back in time and look critically at what you were thinking about, when you succeeded, you'll be able to put together a more reproducible string of success in the future. Or if you go back and, and you autopsy your thoughts when things were hard, and then you fail to, to blame someone else, but you actually take, you take ownership of the parts of that that had to do with you. And said, you know what, every time I have this encounter with this other person that goes wrong, I had an opportunity. When I was thinking how angry I was about their continued failure in this area or their continued meanness or whatever, I had an opportunity maybe to be the one to extend the olive branch to say, hey, you know what, last time we got off on the wrong foot and, and I said these things to you that were hurtful. They were probably hurtful to you. You said some things too, but I'm going to apologize for my part in that and maybe I can behave differently this time. How would that go? And would that break a chain? Would that, would that open a door that wasn't open before? Would that give you an opportunity to have things play out a little differently? I just want you to think about that, to go back and 
autopsy your thoughts and see, good or bad, what was happening when these events occurred that were either harder than normal or better than normal. Because harnessing that understanding will allow you to change your thoughts next time and have more success. God talks about that guy in Isaiah 45. He goes back and he says in verse 20, they have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. They keep on praying to a God that cannot save. So you imagine going back to our, you know, uh, example of people who don't think critically about their their behavior and they keep making the same mistakes or keep doing the thing, same things over and over. We saw a person recently who we had to do kind of urgent surgery on who the reason we had to do the urgent surgery was because of a long series of years of poor choices around substance use that led to this medical emergency happening in a, in a body that had been kind of beaten down in the immune system that had been sort of sort of worn down over time by repeated exposure to a toxic illicit substance that shouldn't have been in the body. And that produced finally a problem that, that created an urgent life-threatening medical situation. But if you unwind that person's life, we were, we were talking about this, like it's easy to just say, oh, this person's a loser, or, this person's terrible, or they shouldn't, you know, it's how bad they are for having a substance abuse problem. The reality, though, is if you unwind their life, and you unwind your life, I unwind my life far enough back, there's almost always an inciting event for why we become who we become, Right? And when we lost our son, for example, I told Lisa this the other night. I said, I could easily, if I, had, if I didn't have faith and if I hadn't had a good family, I hadn't had a strong support system, I could easily have let the loss of my son just take me down a rabbit hole and I could have ended up like that person that just is miserable now. But the problem is, I, I mean, the, the good news is I did have a family and I did have faith and I did have a wife that stayed by me in those dark days after I lost my son and I didn't turn to alcohol or substances or whatever. I didn't just let my life be become about that one thing, that devastating thing. So this person just kept praying to a God that cannot save. He kept using the substance whenever anything hard happened in the life. Right? Somebody left. They used the substance. Somebody cheated. They used the substance. They went bankrupt. They used the substance. They, they got arrested, and they finally got out of jail for the DUI. They went right back to it, right? They kept praying to a God they cannot save. We do the same thing, right? We put all our hope in football. We put all our hope in alfalfa. We put all our hope in the high places that Tata and I talked about before, our beauty, our fame, our strength, our relationship, our whatever, our money, then one of these days we're going to realize that thing is just a thing that we carved with our own hands. No matter how big your biceps are, they're just that big because of your genetics and your repetitious lifting of heavy objects, right? But there's going to come a time as you get older when they're not as big and strong as they used to be, and they can't win that fight anymore. They can't hold you up like they used to. And what God are you praying to then? That's the question. So this whole long talk, about the self-brain surgery today is the idea of looking back at something that's already happened, good or bad, and trying to harness what was going on in between your ears when that was happening. And once you understand that, then you can say, okay, next time I'm in that situation, I need to get better control of that six inches between my ears and get my thoughts in a little better place than they were or to reproduce the good thinking that I was having when that successful or that peaceful or that less anxious moment happened in my life. 
I hope this makes sense. It's I don't have a script. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of talking to my friend here in the darkness. I'm getting ready to get up and make another cup of coffee. And But I thought since it's self-brain surgery Saturday, I want to leave you with this. My friend Tommy Walker, years ago, the, the first song that really got any traction for him was a song called He Knows My Name. And we've had it on the podcast before, but Tommy posted a, a, a version of He Knows My Name this week that there's an artist in, in the Netherlands that does sand art, and it's incredible. I don't even understand how people can, can see this in their mind to, to be able to do it with their hands, but he makes art out of sand. He just sprinkles little, little bits of sand, and all of a sudden it's a beautiful face or an angel or a puppy or a baby or something. It's incredible. And Tommy posted a video of this sand artist doing that that work in real time to the song He Knows My Name. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes. You should watch it. But I'm going to play this song for you here because I want you to know something. No matter what you're going through, God knows your name. You're not alone in it. And so you don't have to think that every fight is yours alone to fight. And the flip side is you don't have to think that everything good that happens in your life is because you worked so hard. It's a slippery slope to give yourself credit for everything good that turns out because then you'll think that you have to keep performing at that level if you want to have any goodness in your life. And the reality is God's got you, friend. He's there. He sees each tear that falls. He's with you in your victory. He's with you in your moments of defeat. He's with you when the news is good and when the biopsy is bad. And if you learn how to use the thought autopsy, you can learn to see those times in your life when you were thinking that uh, maybe have a little more faith and maybe those moments when you were hopeful and more faithful, things seemed to be a little bit more manageable, even when they were hard. And those times when you were in more despair and more hopelessness, maybe your thinking was grounded in more negative thoughts, maybe, maybe you'll find that you tend to have worse times during those moments. And so... Arming yourself with the ability to go backwards and re, sort of reinvestigate what happened in between your ears in these moments of triumph or failure or happiness or anxiety or sadness or joy. Maybe that will help because you can't change your life until you change your mind. Self-brain surgery is how you get it done. It's the, it's the way to understand how to take control instead of being a hapless victim. Thoughts become things, friend. They turn into real things. And so knowing that, you have a responsibility to make your thoughts turn into better things because you want to relentlessly refuse to participate in your own demise. And the good news is, you can start today. Here's Tommy Walker.
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmb.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.